Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. His thing was, he was always like, oh, I'm, you, you never let me taste your meat, et cetera, and so on. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, you're such a hard marker when it comes to that kind of thing. I needed to perfect it in order to make sure that it was okay for him. It's Wes, Scar the Man for Life, and Walker. No, I think that's fair. I think you needed to perfect your meat before Fiddy ate it. Sure. I think that's totally fair <laughs> and not in any way crazy or inappropriate. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Hey, look <laughs> at my juicy brisket. Look at it. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. This is the Wes and Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ on a Tuesday. Keep the text coming, 704-570-9610, and hit that follow button on the socials, at WFNZ on Twitter and Instagram, at Walker Mail, at Brian underscore 72, at HTB underscore Josh, and most importantly, at Wes and Walker on Twitter and Instagram, Campus Kona. Let's go there. You guys can tell. I'm sure my voice is still recovering from Sunday. So, feels like you were trying to fight through it yesterday, which I think you did a good job. Honestly, yeah, I didn't I see many ramifications, yeah. but today, today we hear it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I got <laughs> to nurse it back to health. All right, last night the number seven Duke Blue Devils take care of business against Virginia Tech, a game that we thought could have them in trouble. When you consider. Some of the woes that they've had on the road against the Hokies. But they were able to rally and get the job done, take care of business against Virginia Tech. 77-67, Duke shot 55% from the floor, a blistering 52.9% from three on 17 tries. Held Virginia Tech to 27% from three-point land, and they got the victory. They out-rebounded them big time, plus 18 on the boards were the Blue Devils. And so now with that win last night, what do we think uh, looking at them? Kyle Filipowski bounced back, had a better game than uh, what he had this weekend, 14 points, 8 rebounds. Mark Mitchell goes for 8 points and 8 rebounds. Jared McCain coming down off that 20-point per game perch that he was on, 9 points, 10 rebounds, though, so he contributed in other areas along with 3 assists. And Tyrese Proctor, Still playing well. Didn't have the gaudy numbers last night. 12 points, 5 assists. And Jeremy Roach led. uh, He was the second highest leading scorer. I was going to say he led all scores. But he had 16 points on 5 of 11 shooting. What did we think of Duke last night? I I just like the fact that they were in control of this really the entire time. After the 12-0 run, they didn't relinquish the lead after that. And so even with the Hokies cutting it to that 35-29 deficit at halftime, you still had Duke able to continue to uh, have control of that game. 
and then win by 10 points. Like It wasn't a blowout, but it was just something where you felt, okay, the Blue Devils are going to be able to get this done. That's not the case against Georgia Tech. They barely squeaked that one out a couple of weeks ago, and after losing to them early on in the season, that wasn't the case against Clemson, where even if I don't agree, Brad Brownell is telling you he felt the officials took that win away from Clemson in Cameron Indoor. Granny Pat didn't agree with you. Granny Pat, too. Granny Pat thought that game was taken away from the Tigers, (laughs) and if Granny Pat believes it then you know what i might be inclined to believe it as well all right all that to say you know duke had control of this one and i think they needed a win like this and shire seemed to think the same after him saying last night they played with the real togetherness and he was proud of his guy fitty what'd you see from the blue devils anything scare you as we march towards the matchup on saturday night in chapel hill uh nothing necessarily scared me i think they just continue like john shire continues to impress me because quick turnaround on the road at a place where you've lost five of six would have been a very losable game against a team that um, is was trying to make a push for the NCAA tournament. Now they don't have one of those type of wins to really further their case. I thought Duke controlled the game. I was never worried in the second half that they were going to lose. You got you know 26 bench points um, from Young and Roach off the bench. Filipowski was 14 and eight. And as we've talked about all year long, when Proctor scores, this team's different. And for them to reach their ultimate potential, he's got to put the ball in the basket. And he did that last night to help them get the win on the road. All right. And so early in the week, and as I talked about Saturday, Duke will travel to Chapel Hill and they will get it on and play one of the biggest rivalry games in all of American sports. And just, you know, we don't have to empty the clip here because we're certainly going to get into the weeds of this thing come Friday. But and you're going to get into a great outfit, might I add. I can't yes, wait Yes, I am. Yes, this is going to be spectacular. And I've already been cooking up some extra ideas uh, to go <laughs> with that. But uh, when we look at this right now, when you look at scoring offense, we'll just keep it base level stuff for now. Carolina, the top scoring team in the ACC. Duke, the third leading scoring team. Carolina averaging 83 points a game. Duke averaging 81. Carolina scoring defense sixth in the conference as opposed to Duke, who is fourth in the conference. What are some of our early thoughts as we think about this matchup? Because we got some games to go. Carolina plays tonight. We're going to get into that in a few. But what are some of our thoughts uh, on this match? Well, it always goes to rebounding. At least it did when Roy Williams was the head coach. And then they got away from that a little bit with Hubert Davis. But here's Harrison Ingram coming in and being your big-time boards contributor alongside Armando Baycott. And the fact that those two can grab a bunch of boards, it has people writing in on the text line. Yeah, it's Jack writing in, yeah, Harrison Ingram is going to have 30 boards this weekend against the Blue Devils. And so I think that's something you have to look at. North Carolina's 23rd in the country at 41.3 rebounds per game. Duke is 217th in rebounds. Like, that's a big old uh, advantage for North Carolina. I I do think Duke is going to move the ball well enough to put a lot of points on the board. You went through some of the offensive tendencies for each of these teams, how much they score. But yeah, this is the top dog ACC showdown and it will be interesting to see if Duke can make up some ground or if North Carolina continues to separate themselves as a tier all to themselves within this conference. Yeah, I think that coming into this matchup again, we know rivalry games. You have to throw the records out of the window. And for Duke, I think this is a chance for them to show 
that they really are the contending team that everybody thought they were going to be because uh, not that everybody thought this was going to necessarily be a runaway, but a lot of people coming into this season, especially off of UNC's failures from the previous year, thought that this was Duke's league to lose. And everybody thought that Duke was the de facto top team here, but it's no question about it that Carolina is the top team in the ACC. And so I think for Duke, this is a huge prove-it game for them. I know it's on the road. I generally like to take teams to split when they have really good teams. So maybe they don't get this one because it's on the road in Chapel Hill. But I think that this is a big spot for Duke. And I think that they need to at least show well against Carolina because they've been a buzzsaw. I mean, I've been reading you the stats after every game, how they've been beating people by 10-plus points, holding them to 70 points or less. Duke's another team that holds their opponents under their scoring averages on a regular basis. So this could be an ugly, nasty, low-scoring uh, defensive game between these two. I love the guard matchup with Proctor and R.J. Davis and how uh, that's going to look. I know Duke's going to pay R.J. Davis a lot of attention. And I think this is a matchup that Armando Baycott really needs to come to the table and show his dominance as a big man. Him and Filipowski, that should be uh, fun to see as well. But, Fiddy, what are your some of your early thoughts uh, on this matchup? Um, I know you said it's one of the greatest rivalries in North America. I'll just take this opportunity to correct you and say it is the best rivalry, and it's going to feel like it. And it's going to feel like it for the first time since the Final Four game in 2022. The first time in the regular season since Carolina went to Cameron to end Coach K's uh, career in Durham. And you got two top seven teams or top two teams in the ACC, bona fide national title contenders. What more do you want? This is what this rivalry has produced um, historically. The last 100 matchups, Duke 52, Carolina 48. Duke's averaged 78.5 points per game in those 100 games, Carolina 78. So expect an even game that's going to come down to the final possession or two, and it's it's what this state does best. And at some point, we need to start remembering that this state's crown jewel is that Duke-Carolina game, and boy, do we have a great one to watch this Saturday uh, evening. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And so Carolina's going to need to take care of their business tonight. When you look at the slate of games, a couple of local teams going to be going at it tonight, a few of them to be exact. Carolina travels on the road to play Georgia Tech, who's 2-7 and seven in ACC play. Carolina's an 8.5-point uh, favorite there. Clemson will try to bounce back after that loss, after that game was taken from them. Uh, and Cameron Indoor Stadium, they would take on Louisville, and they are a 16-and-a-half-point favorite. That's a big spread. And NC State will pay, will get a visit paid to them at PNC Arena by the Miami Hurricanes. Two teams, that this is a big game for these two uh, at 5-4. and four. And so one of these teams is going to have to emerge. Tar Heels are 8-0 in January. Uh, they're just playing great ball. Georgia Tech is the last of six ACC road games. Uh, for the Tar Heels in January. And so do we think that any of these games tonight can have us coming in here uh, tomorrow surprise? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think last night I thought, okay, maybe Duke could struggle a little bit with Virginia Tech, yet that did not happen. And so if we're just looking at Georgia Tech and North Carolina, like, I, I think the, the test for the Tar Heels, it's all going to be about what happens against Duke, who is clearly talented enough to compete, and we know about the rivalry between those two. NC State-Miami is really tough for me to pick because at least the Wolfpack, they're not playing on the road. And so at, in this three-game losing stretch that they're on, they didn't have one home loss. The other two were on the road. Here they are at home late against Miami, as you mentioned. I, that one is a toss-up for me, but ultimately I, I relatively think that this is going to remain status quo. 
Yeah, I mean, NC State's 24-4 and four at home since the beginning of the 2022-2023 season. They're 10-4 and four in ACC home games and 14-0 and 0, uh, against non-conference competition. But I don't like the way State's playing right now. I'm going to go with Miami to come in there and get that win tonight. Um, you know, I just think that Miami has a little bit more firepower. O'Meara's been on a tear. Uh, as of recent, Carolina's beating Georgia Tech three straight and 12 of the last 15. I don't see any problems there. Uh, and I think Clemson, too, you know, they'll they'll bounce back against Louisville. I'm not sure they'll cover the 16-and-a-half points. Uh, not that we're a gambling show, but uh, I think that they take care of business against Louisville. Fiddy, do you see anything intriguing on tonight's slate? of ACC game. I mean, for Carolina, it's just avoiding the ultimate trap game. You're on the road against a bad team, but this bad team beat um, Duke and Mississippi State at home back in December, so they're capable. But this is a team that you should put away in the first half. I think for the NC State-Miami game, I think Miami wins, and I think it'll be the beginning of the end of Kevin Keats' time as NC State's head coach. Yeah, I mean, that's an intriguing thing, too, because I know that State fan base, you know, they started out the season competitive, and, you know, they gave Carolina, they had a good game going before Carolina pulled away late. So I know those fans are going to be looking uh, for them to get back on track. And as you said, if they don't, then Kevin Keats could be in major trouble. But when we come back on the Wesson Walker Show, as promised, Greg Olson, former Carolina Panthers, great and Fox Sports analyst, joins us to talk about all things Panthers and more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Walker back at it on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You heard Wes tease it going into the break. I had a chance to sit down with Greg Olson earlier today at Stake 48, a part of the Hardest Yard event coming up. The Ungala, February 26th, that's a Monday, from 6 to 9 p.m., star-studded event. I know even if Wes isn't invited now, it is still a star-studded event, despite Wes Bryant not being there <laughs> at the moment. I was going to ask you, saying that you were at Steak 48 this morning. I wasn't. You didn't eat? No, I didn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't time. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if I would turn down a steak 48 steak, though, at 9 a.m. I'm a huge steak and eggs guy for Steak breakfast. and eggs is good. Steak and eggs I'm is really good. I'm big on that, man. I have that probably once every couple months. Yeah, I, I did not eat it, though. I was, you know, I was talking with Greg instead. So I didn't eat any of the delicious food at Steak 48, which the atmosphere is crazy, too. Yeah. So anyways, if you want a chance to go over there, feel free to do so. And you can catch more information. You'll hear it here in this interview, receptionsforresearch.org. But I sat down with Greg and talked a lot about this event, what it means to him, his wife, Kara, the Olsen family in its entirety. And then we got his football takes about the Carolina Panthers. Dave Canales, remember, he spent time with Dave in Seattle that one year he was with the Seahawks in 2020. And then he also talked about his broadcasting career with Tom Brady lurking over his shoulder. Is it indeed true that Greg Olson will step aside as Tom Brady takes over? Here's that interview right now with Greg. Welcome back to Wes and Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I'm here at Stake 48 with Panthers legend and Fox Sports legend. I think you can say that now. Fox Sports analyst legend Greg Olson. He and his wife Kara Olson are hosting their upcoming charity event at Stake 48 to support the Hardest Yard Initiative. The third annual Hardest Yard Ungala will take place at 6 p.m. going through 9 p.m. on Monday, February 26th, right here at Charlotte's Stake 48. The guest list is star-studded. Again, they'll look forward to a cocktail reception and a three-course meal prepared by Steak 48, fine wine, a silent auction. Greg, this event has been such a force. This kind of atmosphere that Steak 48 provides, the guest, has the event matched your vision, what you set out to do with the Ungala a few years back? I would say it's probably surpassed it. I, I think when, when we first had these discussions with Steak 48, they, they've done some of these events at some of their other locations around the country with other um, nonprofits and other, you know, kind of local charities and, you know, Larry Fitzgerald and, and other professional athletes or just in different forms or fashion. And when they approached us and, you know, they said, listen, we, we understand just what you guys do here in the community and the, and as, you know, kind of intertwined as you guys are and your story and what you do with the Children's Hospital, like you're a program that we could really get behind. And when they told us what they were willing to do and allowing us to use the entire restaurant and rent it out and, and host some of our, you know, we have over... 200 or so of our, our biggest supporters and, you know, local corp, you know, fortune 500 companies and CEOs and professional athletes and some of our donors and biggest supporters of the children's hospital. It's a, it's really an amazing cross section of the Charlotte community and really the Carolina communities at that. So it, it's a hallmark featured event on our, on our calendar. And for us to be able to host them in such an amazing rest, I mean, for anybody who's come here on just a regular Saturday night, it, there's a reason it's one of the biggest, best restaurants in the entire country. And we're, yeah. And we're fortunate to have it here in Charlotte and for them to, to close their doors to the public and just open them up to us for an entire night. We do it in February because it's heart month. Um, it's, it's as special a night as we have on, on our calendar. And, it's a big reason why we're can, we're able to continue to grow and um, and impact more lives and, and grow with our work at the Hardest Yard. Well, and of course, 100% of donations from the event are going to the Hardest Yard program. The Hardest, H-E-A-R-T, Hardest Yard program is a part of Receptions for Research that supports families of children with congenital heart disease. And for those that don't know, the Olson's son, TJ, was treated for congenital heart disease at Levine Children's Hospital right here in Charlotte. Greg, how old is TJ now? He's 11. How's he doing? He's doing awesome. Good. Yeah, he's had, so he's had quite the journey. So our our journey with the hardest yard started 
um, almost 11 years ago. So it, we, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary back in the spring of 2023. And um, so TJ was born with a very serious congenital heart defect shortly after I got traded here. So I got traded here in summer of 2011, played that 2011 season. And then in that, that off season during uh, OTAs, we found out that TJ was going to be born with congenital heart disease and was going to undergo multiple open heart surgeries and have a pretty difficult journey, especially in those first couple of years. So we went through that. Um, he had three open heart surgeries in his first two years right here at Levine Children's Hospital uptown. And then at eight years old, so about a little over almost three years ago, um, he had a heart transplant. He went into heart failure and needed to be transplanted. And so he did that um, in, you know, Two, three, almost three years ago now, two and a half years ago, and uh, June of 2021. So we are beyond grateful for the Lean Children's Hospital. Uh, we have our own outpatient hardest yard congenital heart center that we were able to open a couple years ago. That's a 20,000 square foot state-of-the-art outpatient um, clinic for families to, you know, bring their children to, and they'll be seen there for the rest of their lives, and all sorts of different programs that we've been able to bring. Just as a byproduct of events like this, events like Stake 48, supporters like Stake 48 that allow us to continue to grow our reach and our ability to fundraise. And all of that money goes up to the families and the work that they do at Levine Children's Hospital. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's great stuff. It's Greg Olson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. I'm here at Stake 48 for the Hardest Yard Ungala taking place February 26th. Visit receptionsforresearch.org for more information on how you can possibly help out. Greg, the Panthers, they've undergone a ton of changes. Let's start with the head coach they hired in Dave Canales, who was offensive coordinator with Tampa last year. You have some firsthand experience with Canales. You were there in Seattle at the same time, your last year playing in the league in 2020. What are the Panthers getting in a guy like Dave Canales as their head coach? Yeah, so I spent that year out in Seattle, and and just by chance, so Dave was the pass game coordinator um, for multiple years, but for again, I was just there for that one year. He was the pass game coordinator, and that year, him and, and Pete decided that he was going to spend the year in the tight ends room. So he was not our tight end coach, per se, but he was, he was in our tight end room during our individual meetings and of course he had you know his say with the offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer and the past game and you know what they did as a group but so I got to spend every single day with him for the entire season and really connected with him personally and professionally as much as any coach on the on the staff and you know he was young he was energetic but he was very curious he was very open-minded he was very smart um and I and I really enjoyed my time with Dave and then was really excited you know so two years later two, three years later, he got the opportunity to be the offensive coordinator for the first time. You know, he never really got that opportunity in Seattle and, and I give him a lot of credit and I was happy for him. He kind of was able to get out and spread his wings and get the opportunity that he took advantage of down in Tampa this past off this past season. And he did a great job helping get them to the playoffs. I think far succeeded, far exceeded anybody's expectations. And, um, you know, I think of the four teams in the NFC South going into the year, I would say the expectations of them were the lowest. And um, so obviously he deserves a lot of credit. Obviously Todd Bowles has done a great job down there. And uh, I think he did a great job with Baker Mayfield kind of resurrecting his career and standing in the league this past season. So I'm happy for Dave. I hope he does well. I hope he gets us back going. But I think you're going to get an energetic guy. He's the ultimate optimist. He's you know he's oh, he's positive. Oh yeah, he is, uh, and that is, and that is him. That is yeah. that was what he learned from Pete Carroll. That's the way they do business. And um, 
he's going to bring that here. Greg, I know you kind of threw your hat in the ring. You were a little bit interested in, in getting this job. Were, was there anything formal? Was there an interview with David? No, no, I, no. I mean, the you know the report came out, you know, and then people asked me followed up. I think there was just speculation. Like, listen, here's a guy here that understands the culture of the Panthers. He was part of the you know part of their most recent successful run and. You know, obviously, I've been around the NFL for a long time from a lot of different, you know, as a player for 14 years. And now my last couple of years, you know, meeting with the best coaches in the league on a weekly basis and getting a behind the scenes look at why certain teams are successful and why certain teams aren't. And yeah. I've learned a lot more about the NFL in my last three years than maybe my first 14 as a player. I, I've gotten access to it is not a coincidence why certain teams win and certain teams lose. And after every week of my meetings and studying and getting, you know, a lot of inside look at front offices and head coaches and and why certain teams operate the way they do people would not be surprised the teams that you see winning it's what they do all week it's how they communicate it's how they operate uh the teams that you don't same things to say so uh, would i have entertained it absolutely would i have taken the job i don't know I, I think it would have to be the right situation i think anybody would be crazy do i think i could do it there's no question in my mind i think you know, everyone is so quick to, to say, oh, you know, you're unqualified because you haven't done it. I, I played 14 years at a high level in the NFL. I would argue I've had more access to coaches' mindsets and, and building culture in locker rooms and X's and O's and understanding of the game than, than any coach would have in over the same 14 years. So I, I think we mistake, you know, if I would have spent those 14 years as an assistant working my way up from quality control to a position coach, I would have been a great candidate, but because I was a player or because I, I think it's kind of an interesting dynamic that the NFL has. I think it's going to take one former player to kind of break that mold and show, listen, I might not have come up the conventional route, but I'm damn good at this and I can do it. Whenever that guy does it, whenever that happens, I think it'll change the mindset of how people view coaches. But um, it's not something I pursued. I had no conversations with Tepper about it. But in my mind, do I think I could have done it? There, I have zero doubt in my mind. Well, and Greg, like the problem is we all kind of want you in the booth, too. Like we don't want you to leave the television screen. Are you a, a search uh, your name on Twitter guy? OK, well, like if you have, everyone is in love with the way you call a game. Everybody thinks you're the best NFL color analyst. I agree with them. I, I, it's been impressive. Like you're creative, you're informative, you're entertaining. The problem is you got a certain quarterback that you have to keep in mind that you're having to look over your shoulder and see if he's going to take that spot. Greg, is this a done deal or are you going to be back at Fox or do you have any clue what's going to happen at this moment? Yeah, I mean, it, from all, you know, all all indications are that Tom's going to come. We we knew what we signed up for two years ago when, when Joe and Troy left and, and all, everything went down. But, you know, Tom signed a deal that was going to be, you know, when he was done playing. And then he took this year off following his retirement from last season just to kind of get organized and take a deep breath, which I can't blame him after playing that long and everything he had been through. So I get that. Um, all indications are that he is going to come and we'll see what that means for me next. You know, I, I my, in a perfect world, I would love to do what I'm doing now for the next 20 years. That's why when the whole coaching thing came out, people were like, would you, would you want to just be a coach? I wouldn't just go choose to be a coach and pass what I'm doing now. I would do this for the next 20 years if I had the opportunity. Um, I love what I'm doing. I love being able to study the game. I love being able to share my views of the game, my insight, the way I see it, the way I talk it, the way I've learned it for a long time, which I think is from a very you – know, everyone always – talks about the quarterback and understandably so but I think aside from quarterback I think the way I was 
taught the game and the way I had to learn the game as a player was very unique. You know, there was not an element of the game on either side of the ball that I wasn't privy to or that I wasn't directly involved in in order to do my job. It was it was kind of part of the job description. And I think I've enjoyed sharing that perspective with the audience. And I think for the most part, maybe not everybody, but I think for the most part, people have enjoyed it. And I I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it more than probably they have. And it's been a fun challenge. It's been something that I've had to learn. It's been something that I'm still learning. You know, the, the TV part, I know the football part. The TV part to it, I joke with, with my crew all the time. Like, I don't even know if I'm really a TV guy yet. I, I don't know the lingo. I don't know the cameras, but I know football. And thankfully, I have an amazing crew that fills in the gaps and makes me look good. That's Greg Olson, Panthers legend. Also, as I mentioned, Fox Sports legend as well here at stake 48 for the third annual hardest yard ungala again taking place 6 to 9 p.m on monday february 26th here at charlotte's stake 48 an incredible atmosphere and incredible event we mentioned the guest the guest list is going to be star studded and that will be taking place february 26th please go to receptionsforresearch.org to see more information on how you can help and just gather more information on all of the things that the Hardest Yard program is doing for people in need. Greg, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. Good stuff from Greg Olson. By the way, there's plenty of other sound from Greg. In fact, I sat down with him for 25 minutes. We're going to put a lot of that other content on our website, WFNZ.com. So if you want to hear more from Greg Olson on Dave Canales, on the importance of him calling plays, on him just being a broadcaster that might have to step over for Tom Brady to take over that job. There's plenty more of that. Once we upload it to the website, WFNZ.com, just go to the Wes and Walker tab, and then you can find it there. Most people are writing in, Wes, that it sounds like Greg is interested in coaching maybe at some point. Yeah, it sounds that way, man, especially with the confidence that he has. I mean, he said he has zero doubt that he could do the job. And, I mean, that's bold, you know, coming from a player that, as he said, the knock on him was that he doesn't have the experience of right. a guy never to have coached the game, even been a position coach in the league, uh, you know, to feel like he has zero uh, doubt that he could come in and do the job and do it well. Uh, I think that that's very confident on his part. I'm not sure how true that may be because we've seen a lot of great athletes in the past coaching various other sports that were great players that were not great coaches. And, uh, but you know, he seems to think that with all of his experience and the things that he's seen, which no doubt helps and no doubt counts for something. And I'm not saying that he can't do the job. Uh, but yeah, like I said, you know, his confidence certainly is impressive if anything. Well, and and I thought what was interesting too, is he talked a little bit about how much he's learned as a, as a color analyst the last three years, because you're in these meetings with different coaches, you learn about their philosophies, you learn about what their organization is about. And it was interesting to hear him say, you can start to tell why these teams win the way they do and why the teams that struggle struggle the way they do. He said there was a pattern. There was a consistent feeling on both sides of that. And so the fact that he was able to learn something to that degree in the last three years as a broadcaster and even more, Right. Like Greg Olson put the time in. He was doing the combine at the NFL Network. I remember seeing great coverage there. He was on NFL Network for like, I think, good morning football every once in a while, making appearances all over the place. So here is somebody that was clearly putting the work in. But also you did play for a very long time in a few different offenses. 
you played in Chicago for four years before being traded here to Carolina and then moving to Seattle in 2020. That was a successful organization there too. Yeah, there is a lot. Like when we were talking about the news first breaking, would you like Greg Olson as a coach? I, I don't know how he would do. Nobody really does. I just don't want him to have losing seasons and then us dislike Greg. <laughs> and like, it is true. He's so good at the TV stuff, at least in my opinion, that I would love to continue to watch him call games. But it does feel like, hey, man, if I would imagine somebody is going to pick him up if he has this high of an approval rating. And if you go look at Twitter and you just type in Greg Olson, it's all people are talking about. So if he has this high of an approval rating, I would imagine somebody, CBS, somebody is going to be picking him up. Maybe Amazon. I don't know. I don't know. But if they don't pick him up, then yeah, he's locked in. He's good to go. And if they don't, at least, you know, Greg is a guy that has the confidence. And I do think he would be the type of person that an NFL team would take a chance on. Yeah, I think that he's going to be coveted on a broadcast. I do too. I mean, you come from being the number one uh, guy on Fox and some of the big games that he's called. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have his choice of where he wants to go next in those regards. He was talking about Dave Canales, what kind of guy you're getting. He's very positive. And that was something that stood out to Greg. He said he spent a lot of time with Dave Canales, not because... I called him the ultimate optimist. Yeah, not that he was a tight ends coach, but that after he was, I think, an offensive assistant and wide receivers coach up there, he spent a lot of time in the tight end room. And so Greg Olson, Dave Canales, just kind of, you know, talking ball back and forth. And he said, you are getting somebody that is the ultimate optimist. And, you know, what he was able to do with Baker was impressive, but also above anything you got to fix the culture and how to get that team right. I, you can't have, I mean, I don't know how explosive it is, but the article in the athletic from Joe person, Diana Rossini, I asked Greg about that as well. We, you can catch that on the website. It's like, that's the first thing you got to fix because the messaging, the line of communication, all of that stuff really matters. And that's why I think it is a good sign. Canales offensive coordinator, a guy that followed him from Seattle to Tampa, now Tampa to Carolina. That's his guy. Wes, Dan Morgan, Dave Canales is Dan Morgan's guy. And then you go in and you bring Brant Tillis, who I don't know how much Dan and Brant know each other, but I do know that Brant Tillis is at least out of the organization, right? You move on from Suleiman. We wanted a clean sweep. We wanted a fresh start. You don't really do that by promoting Dan Morgan, but at least you have somebody different in the building of higher power, and that is Brant Tillis. So I think for the most part, yeah, man, I like the moves they're making. Of course, we'll see what happens with Avero. Yeah, I think you got to like some of those moves as well because it's going to be one philosophy, and that's the number one thing that you take from all of these moves, from everything that we heard this offseason. It feels like everybody in the building is going to be a Canales guy uh, for the most part. And we'll see what ends up happening with the defensive staff. But uh, you got to like, you know, what you heard from Olsen, and it kind of continues the messaging that we've heard from everybody else. I mean, there's been really not a lot of varying opinion about him. Everybody that talks about him from a character perspective, from a coaching perspective, it's all the same stuff, super positive, the process, the way he goes about uh, doing things, but overall just the positivity that he brings and not in a way that's off-putting. If the social media petition doesn't work and Greg Olson does have to step aside for Tom Brady, how do we think Tom is going to do in the booth? 
Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, I don't think, Tom, the number one thing, like I said, that you want to see from him when he comes in there is going to be just him telling it like it is and for him not trying to skate around and, and not say certain things because he's got friends or because he doesn't want to be looked at a certain way. And I think based off the way – uh, you know, Brady was on social media and, and different things. I think he is going to be a guy that's going to tell his opinion how he sees it. Fiddy, I know you, this is the broadcasting nerd in you. We both like to talk about this stuff a lot. Do you think Tom Brady is going to be good at this once he steps in the booth? Uh, yes. I mean, he's achieved at everything he's ever done. And look, ever since he's gotten out of the game, he, he offers his opinions yeah. on his podcast. I think you got to, you know, I think the personality is going to be there because the camera is going to be be on him so I, I i think he's going to do just fine i wish they could find a way to make it a three-man booth i know it's not popular yeah in today's broadcasting especially in the nfl i know fox did it with aikman and collinsworth back in the day well and monday night football tried this with booger like it was it wasn't a three-man booth it was a it was two, two man the with a guy on awful. a cart yeah that was awful. well then in the old days remember you yeah. had was it Tariko, tony kornheiser and and gruden i forgot about the kornheiser experiment that's right yeah, so, I mean, I, to me, that would be interesting. You just got to find a better play-by-play man because Kevin Burkhart. Oh, well, no, you don't like Burkhart? No, no, he's awful. He's terrible. Oh, okay. Didn't know it's, that. It's, it's, he's, he's why what I don't. What don't you like about him? I don't think. It's always look, the interesting question. I don't think whenever <laughs> I hear him, he gives me big game vibe. And say what you want about Jim Nance, even Al Michaels. It's, it's the problem Sunday Night Football has with Mike Tirico. He does not sound like a big game broadcaster. How do we feel about Bill Belichick potentially on TV if he doesn't get a job? Now Washington's opened up again, so maybe he's going to the Commanders. I got it really great. Yeah, you're going to have to turn the volume up just like you are here on the radio station. You're going to have to turn the volume up on your TV if Bill Belichick speaks. Um, I think he would do all right because I've seen him like on the NFL, uh, the special when they did the all time, I think. Um, really good. Or whatever it was. I think he's going to be and good. He was good. Yeah, he, he's going to be good. We, we need to move on. But you know who else is going to be fantastic because we've already seen him on TV? I think Nick Saban is going to be amazing. I, yeah, al- I, think- I already think he's amazing at TV. These guys that know some about ball, man, they do a pretty good job. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. All right, let's move on. We have one more segment to go before we get to Ron at two o'clock. Ron Rivera, former head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Is he going to take a defensive coordinator job this offseason? And what kind of advice does he have for Dave Canales as he accepts the head coaching job in here in Carolina? We have one more segment. Then it's Ron at two o'clock. All on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
All right, you definitely got to wait for the beat to drop on that one before you can come in. You know it's what true. I'm saying? No, it's true. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 FM on a Tuesday. And make sure, too, man, you know, the show's a podcast. If you miss it or you love what we're saying so much, you want to listen to the show again, check out Wesson Walker on the WFNZ app or anywhere else you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, uh, all that good stuff. Hit those social buttons. You already know uh, all of those different pages. And uh, keep the text coming, 704-570-9610. And so uh, George says, I like Olsen as a commentator, but not everyone likes his announcing. I think it's about 60, 40 likes, according to the comments I see on social media. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. I know um, <laughs> we talked about it. Pharrell uh, definitely gives a, a Greg Olsen a business uh, on, on his show. Uh, he was talking about that in their last game, the the Cowboys and the well, not their last. Was it the game, analytics conversation that he was talking about? Nah, he was he was getting at him about the uh, during the Dallas game how he and Burkhart was still trying to sell that it was a game, and then, um, you know, and then uh, he said something smart alecky about his announcing in uh, the past game, the Detroit San Francisco game too. So he caught him. The great Greg Olson, but it was very tongue in cheek. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> what I'm, okay. What's him saying that? What is a broadcaster but not good commentator mean? What was I that? think he was saying he likes but not, him, but not everybody likes his. I guess he mm. was just using two different gotcha. words. He was gotcha. just saying I like him as a commentator, but not everyone likes his announcing. Because yeah, I see kind of mixed bag. But to be frank, I think you're gonna see that with anybody. Anybody I mean, I that's guess I of just... ilk. You're not going to see anybody universally praised on social media. Well, this is perhaps this is me needing to be more self-aware of what my timeline looks like because, well, I also just search it. Like, it's not like I'm just going off of the people I follow. If you type in Greg Olson, at least if it's anything like my search inquiry or my search history or whatever is coming in for that, right? It looks like most people are very much a fan of him. You're Twitter searching during a game, though? No, I'm Twitter searching to get prepped for an interview that I have because I'm a professional. I'm not Twitter searching Greg Olson. <laughs> if you look up Greg Olson right now, then Greg Olson is highly thought of as a broadcaster, at least with the results coming in on my search bar. Mm. But I'm not I'm not looking at Greg Olson on the game, though. All you right. gave me an ultimate stank face. You thought that was the worst thing anybody <laughs> could ever do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, getting back into Panthers conversation and talking about Dave Canales and what he's going to bring to the table and how much can he help Bryce Young. And so uh, Geno Smith talked about Coach Canales and he talked about his process. And he said that he has an elite approach. Uh, quote, he said, it wasn't a surprise to me that anything was going to be great because of the way that he works. Geno Smith also said, quote, his process is elite, and that is something that is more to me than the results. And so we know that he took Geno Smith uh, from being a guy that was a journeyman on the precipice of maybe being out of the league but holding on because he had such great experience to bringing him to a very respected starting quarterback. Um, This is a guy that 2022 threw for over 4,200 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks, completed 69.8% of his passes, looking like the Geno Smith everybody thought he would coming out of West Virginia. And so do we expect Canales' process to make Bryce elite? Is that something that we think Canales is going to make good on? 
I mean, we can speculate. I mean, the the proof is in the pudding with the quarterbacks that he's coached. But but oh well, I, let me tell you, I do not want to have the semantics elite debate. Mm-hmm. But I I love what Geno Smith did. Can he I, get to these kind of numbers? Yeah, I, that that's the hope, and I think he could. Maybe not next year. I I think that would be tough for Bryce Young to go from what happened this season, especially with all of the talent that you have to put alongside Bryce. I think it would be tough to see him go from this total to over 4,000 yards. I think it would be tough to see Bryce go from 11 and 10 touchdown interception ratio to 28, 30 and 10. I don't expect that kind of jump next year, but if the timeline is within the next two, I think that's when you're probably looking at this in a more realistic approach, because as we've mentioned with Canales in Seattle, because of some of his development, by the way, being that wide receivers coach, you're working with better talent. You're talking about DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett on the outside. You go to Tampa. Now you're working with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and you're working with an offensive line in Tampa that's better than what Carolina has here, at least the way they performed. So you still have to get some talent. But I think, Wes, I just hope to see them continue to make progress on this approach. And then maybe two years from now, we can see the 30 and 10 over 4,000 yards, which you would absolutely take given what we saw last year. Well, you know, Baker threw for 4,044, 28 and 10. I think Bryce can get close to that type of yardage if everything goes good. I think he can get close to that type of yardage and that type of touchdown to interception ratio. I think Bryce now has 17 games worth of data. Uh, playing against these defenses and knowing what to expect. It's all going to come down to what's put around him. Uh, we saw in the Green Bay game, playing against a hot Green Bay team, what he was able to do. Granted, that defense, yeah, it wasn't the greatest, but still, it was something that we didn't know we'd see from him against an NFL defense all season long. Yeah, this offense has a long way to go, but as I said, things can flip in the NFL in an instant. And so if you can clean up that offensive line play first and foremost, uh, not sure how you're going to do that, whether it's going to go by free agency to draft or both. But if you can find, I think, at least two guys to that can change life uh, on that offensive line. And then you go find a, a top receiver, and hopefully if you're able to keep an Adam Thielen, uh, I, I think Bryce can get close to those numbers. Um, and as free agency goes, I'll be even more decisive if I think that he will come close to those type of numbers. But uh, I for sure think that if they do, I'm just saying if they do do the requisite work this offseason, I can certainly see him doing this. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot. So, But I I agreed. It, if you do the, the Texans-type turnaround, then you got to have the – do you have the Nico Collins emergence from whoever – Mingo, I mean, it's not going to be Collins level, but from Jonathan Mingo, and then you use your third-round pick on receiver, that can be your Tank Dell. If they go out and get like a T. Higgins, do you think? To to see if Bryce can reach 30 and 10, 4,000? Let's like, just say you go get T. Higgins. I don't think he's going to reach that. Two I don't think he's going to reach that see, next I, year. I think if you go do that, I think he can. Oh, that'd be – I would love Especially to see it. Especially with 17 games to be able yeah. to do so, uh, I think he can. Uh, I think Things the, can turn around. I think the single part of his approach that I expect to help Bryce the most when you hear about just how he coaches the guys between improving footwork or uh, improving release time, uh, I think the footwork is going to be the number one thing that he can do to help Bryce to become more consistent as a passer. Uh, we saw Geno and, and, and guys talk about that with Canales and, and what he really focuses on. And what did we hear last year was a big uh, stickler for the Panthers. 
uh, David Tepper telling them to get his footwork right. And we're hearing from the coaches that he needs to work on his footwork. And even watching it, you see the footwork gets very, very loosey-goosey with Bryson. So I think that Canal is cleaning that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, fundamentals, just like basketball, <laughs> fundamentals are great in football too, especially for quarterbacks. If he can get the feet and get the rest of that stuff to follow, I think that's going to change life for him as well. But I think that uh, footwork is the area where he can help Bryce the most. I would love, yeah, I think so. That makes a lot of sense. And if he can, and then you get, you got to hit on a lot, right? Like that's, that's the ultimate caveat. If you hit on a lot, then maybe, but if you do, then Bryce has enough talent as the number one overall pick to make the most of that. All right. Well, when we come back on the Wesson Walker show, we're going to have Ron Rivera, former Carolina Panthers and Washington commanders head coach to talk Panthers with us on sports radio, 92.7 WFNZ.